In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. If you ask any Newfoundlander or Labradorian, they'll tell you one of the greatest tragedies in the history of the province was the sinking of the oil rig Ocean Ranger. Lisa Moore wrote a novel about the disaster and its aftermath, and that novel, February, won her awards in worldwide acclaim. And now she's reimagining the novel as an opera. She says the thing it made her think most about is the breath and what happens when we don't have enough air. Lisa and I sit down in Newfoundland for that conversation. That's coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I remember reading February when it first came out. It was based, as I mentioned, around the Ocean Ranger oil rig disaster, which is one of the worst tragedies sort of in the history of working Canadians at all. And, of course, one of the worst tragedies in the history of Newfoundland and Labrador. And that's where Lisa Moore and I are both from. Eighty-four people died when the Ocean Ranger oil rig sank off the coast in February of 1982. When you grow up in Newfoundland, the story of the Ocean Ranger is just something in your consciousness from such a young age. I remember being in elementary school and going to Ocean Ranger memorials, even though, you know, it had happened five years before I was born. What Lisa did with February is she wrote a novel that looked not just at the disaster itself, but how the impact of a tragedy like that carries on long after for the families afterwards, for the community, for the oil and gas industry. And now, over a decade later, Lisa is looking at the story again because she's part of the team adapting it into an opera. In fact, she uh, co-wrote the libretto with the acclaimed American composer Laura Kaminsky. February is about to get its world premiere where it should be getting its world premiere in in St. John's. What pressures did she face when she took on this tragic and real-life story? How does it make you think about the real-life risks that people who work in oil and gas extraction face every single day? What made her want to see the story as an opera? And how does making it into an opera reconsider the story she wrote herself? Lisa Moore, the acclaimed writer and now librettist, joined me in studio in St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador while I was home. Right off the top, she had a few things to say about me calling her a librettist. This is really nice. Nice to have you here. Yes, it's really nice to be here, Tom. I'm actually the co-librettist. Sorry. I have to say that because I couldn't have done it without without Laura Kaminsky. That's a big story, which I can tell you all about. Uh, we will. I was just excited that you're a librettist at all. It just sounds so <laughs> fancy to me. You know what I mean? I know. Well, when Cheryl Hickman asked me if I was, if I was interested in having my novel February changed into an opera, adapted into an opera, and did I want to be the librettist? <laughs> I had my computer there, and I very quietly put in what is a librettist. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, actually. Yes, I, I think I could do that. What is librettist? Do I have to go to the gym? <laughs> um, uh, how are you feeling? You're a week out from premiere, opening night, is that right? Yeah, the 13th and 14th. How are you feeling? Feeling good? Oh, my gosh. So happy, so excited. I'm going to the rehearsals and. 
every single rehearsal, I learned something new about music, about acting, about about the libretto, and about uh, and about the novel even. Well, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about that later, like what you might learn about the novel through adapting it for the opera. But I think I mean we should give people a reminder a little bit about the book itself. So, 2009, February came out. It's a story set around the Ocean Ranger. If you aren't as familiar uh, with that story, it's a, a, an oil rig that went down in a storm on February 15, 1982. All 84 working that day died. And I grew up, I grew up knowing about this, and I grew. I was born in 87, and I grew up so viscerally knowing about it. Like, you know, years and years there were still memorials that, that we, would go, we would go to. And I used to tell people that um, it was hard to know somebody who didn't have someone affected by it, be it like a brother or a, a father or even just a, a family friend. But I've never heard you talk about like where you were when the Ocean Ranger went down. Do, do you have any recollections of that? Um, I think I was waitressing that night and I think that the the restaurant shut down. I believe that's where I was. That's how I remember it. What do you remember about, you know, hearing the news about it? I mean, it was it was kind of unthinkable. It was kind of unimaginable um, because oil rigs are way off in the water. Yeah. And, and you nobody on shore, no family member, I don't think, no women would have ever seen an, the – what an oil rig looks like at that time. Nobody would have been on an oil rig who wasn't working on an oil rig. And even photographs were limited because all of the technology on an oil rig is, you know, protected and, and secret to the company. So imagining what happened was very difficult. And I think that's that's one of the most devastating things about that loss. I guess I've been I've been sitting down trying to figure out, in addition to the just unimaginable loss, and maybe the unimaginable loss is the answer, like why that has stayed in our sort of collective uh, unconscious here in in Newfoundland for so long. Well, the Ocean Ranger was like this beacon of hope in, in a province that was, you know, constantly going through and is still going through boom and bust cycles economically. Yeah. So the idea that there was oil in the water and that it could be excavated, it, it, it meant that people's lives would economically be changed hugely. So there was a massive amount of hope and excitement. And so to have the rig sink was – and to lose all those lives yeah. was just was just such a kick in the teeth. It was just such an emotional – devastating thing to have happen. I never thought about it that way before because, of course, I grew up with there being offshore drilling my entire life and my friends going out to work on these rigs and people I knew going out to work on these rigs. I never thought about it that back then it wasn't as common and it was this great hope for the province. And then, and that, So in addition, just the, again, unimaginable tragedy of, of the loss of those lives, it was, it was a real shock for the province. It was a shock. Yeah, I think it was a shock for everyone. I know that the men on the rig yeah. were afraid of the rig. And they called it the ocean danger privately to themselves. Yeah. They didn't take those stories home because they didn't want to frighten their families. Right. I mean that was the the economic promise of it was that once once you were you know given the opportunity to make that kind of money, you didn't want to make your your family afraid for you. So I think that they they joked about it among themselves. There were lots of jokes, but. 
just I think a week or two before the rig sank, there was a, a an event on the Ocean Ranger where it began to list. It was a very terrifying moment. It looked like they were going to lose it then. And so they knew they weren't mm-hmm. safe. When did the genesis of the novel, when, when did you start thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I could write something here? Um, you know, when I look back on it, I, I, I cannot believe that I chose to write about that moment because because I'm a woman and because I've never worked on an oil rig or, or been anywhere near one, I, I can't think what made me believe I could do it. But I felt like it. I, I was just overtaken by the desire to do it. I, there was no rhyme or reason to my desire to do it. I just knew I had to do it. There was no moment you didn't go to a memorial. You did Nothing had happened in the news that made you go, okay, I need to, this is that moment for me right now. There was some, some event that meant that a rig was in danger. Right. And, and nothing was done to avoid that danger. Yeah. I can't remember what the yeah. h- historical moment was. But then I thought, wow, we're still doing it. You know, in 2017, there was an iceberg heading toward uh, an oil rig, and they just kept drilling. So we are still making these these mistakes. Right. So you felt, okay, there's something inspiring me here. I need. It sounds like you're saying, I need, I need to write this story. I need to tell this story. And it also sounds like you're aware that it's a very sensitive story to be told. Yes. Well, it was also, I wrote this book uh, around 27 years after, after the rig sank. And when I went to the library, I found there weren't very many books about the Ocean Ranger. There were maybe three or like one or two. But the year I was writing, two other books came out. I mean, that's, you know, three more books. And I think partly that moment, the story was moving out of living memory. There were young people coming up who didn't know that story. Yeah. So it felt important to document it. You didn't document it by by necessarily like telling the story of the building of the the Ocean Ranger or the telling of the story of just just the people who worked on it. February for people who haven't read it or, or and people are going to see this in the opera tells the story of Helen whose whose husband dies in the disaster and she has to find a way to carry on without him. It's as much a story about the Ocean Ranger as it is a story a, about grief. So who were you channeling first when you sort of came up with the idea of Helen? Well, my own father died suddenly when I was 16 of natural causes. And so I watched my mother grieve for a very long time. And um, I'm, I'm interested in the idea that grieving is a, a very important part of the human experience. And it's not that we get over grief. And it's not that we don't feel joy even as we're grieving. I think our lives are all those things all at once. We feel we can like, you know, watch a child grow up and graduate and be excited about that and then go home and feel really sad that our partner is not there to watch too. Though, though, like we're just all those things at once. And I feel, I feel like that's the job of a novel to show all of that at once, what it means to be human all at once, all the varieties of emotions and feelings and that, that it's, possible to feel. So, so you looked at these people who had lost uh, husbands in the, in the Ocean Ranger or lost family members in the Ocean Ranger and you thought sadness is the, the – the, uh, how do I put this? Because I, re- I reread it last night and I got what you were 
th- talking about there. I mean, I reread it when it first came out, but like I reread it uh, last night. It is about all the different ways that grief shows up in your life. That grief is not just a devastating sadness that makes you go into the corner and cry. It also is absurd. It's also funny. It's also you know it's it's all of those things. So you were thinking, okay, these these people lost. Uh, family members in the Ocean Ranger, they get the news, they start crying, and that's where the story would normally end. But grief being as complicated as it is, what what happens after that? Yeah, and um, a lot happens. We go on living our lives. We go on, you know, working and raising children or, or you know, falling in love with other people. But that that thread is is present in, I think, a kind of, beautiful way. Like, I'm so glad that we don't forget to feel for people that have died. And also, I would say that sometimes when you're feeling grief, beauty, just like beauty of (laughs) ordinary beauty that happens all day, every day in various different places, hits us most intensely. Like we experience beauty and grief at the same time. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. When that book came out, I remember how big it got. I mean, it was it, it was uh, for the Giller, the Man Booker Prize. I mean, the Canada Reads happened a few years later. What was that time like for you to have that book get so big for you, Lisa? I mean, you know, I think these kind of tragedies having to do with oil happen all over the world. Yeah. And I remember reading in a shopping mall. It was a new shopping mall. It was an open-air shopping mall in Toronto. I don't think it lasted. But so there were all these people. There was like the sound of traffic and – they were all sitting, you know, in rows, and I read something, and many people in the audience cried. And I was kind of – I was astonished by this. Like it was a very unromantic, un, you know, a very difficult place to, to read something and uh, move people. I don't think this had to do with my writing. I think this had to do with connecting with people who have – family members who work really hard Mm. to support people and sometimes die on the job. Like I said, my my own father died of natural causes. This was a very different death because this death could have been avoided. It, it, It was the fault of the oil companies. These accidents are the fault of the oil companies and all of us who are implicated in the production of oil when we drive our cars. Like, it's uh, it's a different 
kind of grief when you lose someone that way, I think. So so in addition to that, it's nice to have the plaudits. It's nice to have the Giller. It's nice to have the Man Booker. You're thinking to yourself, I, I, I have an idea why this is connecting. I have an idea why this is connecting. So many of us, I mean, myself and yourself included, know people who – risk their lives. I mean, who go away to work in incredibly hard and dangerous jobs. And there's all we always are aware and we put away the thought that this is endangering work that they're doing. Yes, I once had a uh, in an at a festival I was at, I had a engineer, you know, ask a question and he said he taught this novel in his engineering class because he wanted people to know like the physical the human uh, repercussions, repercussions of making a mistake. That must have been meaningful to you. It was really meaningful to me. I, I was very touched and, and moved by it. I'm touched and moved by anyone who who reads anything I write. <laughs> well, now <laughs> I'm uh, deeply honored. Well, now and now let's let's get let's get to the opera. So tell me a little bit about how the um, adaptation happened. How did the, how did this came come about? Well. Uh, Cheryl put me together with Laura Kaminsky, and Laura is a composer, and she is the most produced uh, opera composer of contemporary opera in North America and probably Europe as well. And she made me – I think, Tom, and I hate to admit this to you, but (laughs) I – if you looked for someone who knew less about music <laughs> in Newfoundland or Canada or the whole world, you would have a hard time finding anyone who knew who knew less than me. But I feel like I see you at music stuff. I feel like growing up in Newfoundland, I would I would be at a gig at the ship and someone would say, oh, that's Lisa Vaughan. Yeah. Like, well, you were there, you know? Yes, I do listen to music. But um, this was about like Laura showing me how even to change a note shifts the mood in a scene. Like a single note, and I'm listening really hard to see how 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 what something is off here. Something is, you know, maybe if it was, and I I don't even have the words, but I say to Laura, like maybe if it was, I don't know, higher or something. Like I really don't know. And then she changes, you know, she's like, oh okay, let me try, you know, let me try this, and then like suddenly the the scene. I mean, it was very, it was a very very. I was just so lucky. I am so lucky to be working with with Laura and Opera on the Avalon. But what was exciting to you about adapting this story for for an opera? Well, you know, I had this revelation uh, in a rehearsal. And um, the men on that rig, they drown. They, They fell into the water and were deprived of oxygen. And then... I am listening to these singers who have voices that, you know, where they can sustain a note for a very, very long time and their voices fill the room and I feel it like vibrating in my chest bone, like I feel it vibrating through my whole body and raising the hairs on my arms. Like that's that's the power of these voices and I'm thinking that's oxygen, like that's breathing. That's they they are, and that is how we lost those men. Like it, it's so powerful to have this story told through music, and I learned I I learned that music is a, a language. Now I know you know that, and everybody out there knows that. But for me, I really learned it in a new way. 
You said that you you saw the book differently through this. What do you mean? Well, as you said, a lot of time has gone by, and um, since two thousand and nine, and um, I think the urgency of climate crisis is something that we are living with every day. Yeah. You know, we saw Fiona. We 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 were watching the whole country burn, yeah. um, and it it just seems so so much more urgent to talk about this, um, to talk about what what it means to go deeper and deeper in deeper water, in colder water, uh, to to get oil. What does that mean? Like, what are we doing? Um, so I think that aspect of the novel has has changed for me. I realize it's when I wrote the novel, it really was, and it still is, about the loss of human life and a desire to honor those men and to de- a desire to honor the kind of work that they gave for the province, for their families, you know, like it, it's – and the disparity, the the power that the oil companies have to make things right, to yeah. do things safely yeah. and how that was ignored. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so excited that this opera is happening. Um, I'm also happy that Canadians are going to see it outside of St. John's. Um, people are going to be able to stream the show, right? Yes, it's going to be streamed on um, the second night of the um, opera, which is a Saturday, the 14th. Yeah, we'll put up the link and all that stuff. But that must be meaningful to you that it's going to be able to be seen by people outside of the province. I, I think it's going to be great because there are so many places all over the globe where oil production is happening. So this is, and that is a community. That's a community of people who work in in that uh, field. And I think it's going to matter to people. I mean, you know, that. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a new conversation. I'm excited to, to see it. Thanks for coming in, Lisa. Thank you, I'm Tom. I'm glad we got to do this in St. John's. Yes, me too. I didn't know you were going to be here. I'm so, so happy. Trey flew in for you. Thanks. <laughs> that was Lisa Moore, the acclaimed novelist, who is also the co-librettist of the new opera February, which is based on her Giller and Mann Booker Prize-nominated novel of the same name. That opera is having its world premiere in St. John's, Newfoundland on October 13th and 14th. As Lisa mentioned, if you're not in St. John's, you can also stream the Saturday the 14th performance of the opera online. Just go to the St. John's Arts and Culture Center website, and we'll post that link on our website, cbc.ca slash q. That's it for the show today. Very cool to get to do that interview in um, in the studio at home. Um, I, yeah, I think it was, I mean, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm so happy to be here in, in Toronto, but like, I guess when you're talking about the Ocean Ranger and, and talking to someone like Lisa, um, it's nice to be able to do it in the place where you, you feel like you were most affected by it. So thanks a lot to Lisa and thanks a lot to everybody at CBC Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, for for giving us the space to to work on that. The other episode we have up today is a conversation with the author Craig Shreve. He's an author from North Buxton, Ontario. Uh, And he'll tell you the story, uh, the real-life story, of an enslaved black man that was brought to Japan in around the 1500s and became a samurai. Go check that out wherever you got this podcast. We'll see you soon. Later on.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.